Brave is the new series that we're in right now. Specifically, more than that, we're going to spend six weeks going through the book of Daniel and trying to answer this question is, how is it that I can become brave? I love in the video that you see all of these different um, courageous acts, jumping off a high dive or getting news from the doctor about a diagnosis or, or this proposal. You, you, have, you have all of these scenes in life that really require you to be brave, courageous on some level. And this morning, at least, I'd, I'd like to open it up even more than that and start to look at some of the really heroic, some of the really courageous acts that, that you all have seen in life. And to aspire and even to ask God to start growing inside of me a heart that's brave. I want you to just imagine two pictures, a couple of them. We don't have them, so I see producer guys in the back like freaking out. I didn't give you any. We don't have any pictures. But you know what they are. They're in your mind already. Because the first one is like this, uh, this grainy black and white picture of a woman sitting, not in the back, but in the front of a bus. And as Rosa Parks is, is, is staring out the window, right, defiant look on her face, and there's like this old-timey kind of police officer, like, what in the world do I do with this situation now? You just look at a situation like that and you say, do I have what it takes? Like, can I possibly be brave like that? And I don't know about you. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what God has brought you through. But at least for me, I answer that question a resounding no, not even close. The other picture is another grainy one, uh, colored this time. You've seen it. They call it Tank Man. It's the guy standing in Tiananmen Square. It's a Chinese student protesting the communist government. And he's standing in there as a, as a whole line, a whole column of tanks lines up in front of him. And he stands his ground, even though the tanks come within feet of where he's standing. And that's where the picture is taken, a sole person standing in the way of a dozen tanks. And I want to ask that question again. Do you have, do I have what it takes to be brave like that guy, like tank guy in that moment? And again, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what God has brought you on, but I think the resounding answer is probably not. No, at least for me, absolutely not. I can think about, I can think about some of the most courageous, some of those brave things that I have ever done in life. And one of them, one of them happened a number of years ago. My wife and I were just married. That wasn't it. And then I, uh, we went on a trip to Hawaii. And I remember going for hiking for a while. It was, I was a lot braver then. Uh, but up, up on top of the side of this hill, mountain kind of thing. And I remember seeing a bunch of these locals like, like jump off down into the water below. And I thought, well, I've... If they can do it, like, sure, I'm 21 and invincible. Of course I'm going to jump off. So I climb up to the top of this thing, you know, and hang out with these locals. And I'm like, is it safe? And they're like, eh. Um, that sounds confident enough for me. So I'm like, okay, one, two. And I'm looking at this thing. And it, it's probably like 100 feet down there to the water. And it's like churning and doing that thing, you know. And there's like these jagged rocks. I'm like, well, as long as I like jump out far enough, I should be fine. You know, practice runs and get a little more advice from the locals. And then I go for it. And I just, you're falling down. It feels like eternity as you're falling down into the water. And splash. And just to make sure that I could share it with everybody, I had my wife record it on video so I could prove like I actually jumped off. And I would show it to you, except for the fact that when I went back and reviewed that video, it wasn't anywhere close to 100 feet. It was like 20 tops. And I didn't look brave doing it either. And I think like that's probably the extent of my courage, the extent of my brave. If anybody is here is kind of in that same boat of saying, I can look back in my life and there's just not a lot of moments where I really 
exemplified what it means to be brave, then this message, and I think this series, is really, really for you because we're taking a look at how to be brave. Specifically this morning, we're going to look at what's that first step? What's that first thing, the first decision, the first move you make? What's that first step in becoming brave? Now, to get there, I have to tell you a story. The story comes to us in Daniel chapter 1. You can grab a Bible underneath the chairs in front of you, look it up. If I see like blue glows on your chin, I just assume you're on like a Bible app. That's cool. We're a friendly church that way. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. But the story starts 2,600 years ago, which is kind of amazing that we even know what's happened 2,600 years ago. But that's another point. So the story takes place um, in, and, and we're going to start it in Jerusalem. In the southern kingdom, there's a northern kingdom of Israel. There's a southern kingdom of Israel. They're not really getting along. The northern, by this time, has been completely um, demolished and, and totally carted away. They're out of the picture entirely. So we just see the southern kingdom of the capital city of Jerusalem, a holy city, as it was called. And, and we, we kind of start there, and there's like this kind of up and down and up and down and up, and then it's like down, 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 as the people like sink more and more and more into rebellion away from God. And then God does something unexpected. God does something incredible. He takes the people from the holy city of Jerusalem where they're not living very holy lives. And he uses the Babylonians to come and destroy their city and take them to Babylon, the capital city, as exiles. And then leaves like all the rest, kind of like just standing you know, stones on top of, basically not on top of each other anymore. Just destroys the city and carts off a number of exiles, as we're going to talk to them. And the story this morning is going to follow those exiles. But I want to give you like some bonus material. Now, this was not part of the original message. This is not kind of the plan of this morning. This is not like a note card, like, you know, point number two of 10 or like, well, it's probably three. It's always three. But this, this isn't part of it at all. This is just like free of charge. You're welcome. Uh, it's interesting to me and probably worth pointing out that in that story that I just told, I'll record it in the Bible, God would rather have his people live holy lives captive in a pagan city than have his people live pagan lives free in a holy city called Jerusalem. Like, there is so much to that point. I mean, we got a whole series, like, right in there. But I'm not going to do that. You're welcome. But I did spend a little while trying to memorize that line, so I'm going to say it one more time in case one of you does want to write it down. It's cool. God would rather his people, back then and all of us today, God would rather his people live holy lives, obedient lives, captive in exile in a pagan city like Babylon than have his people live pagan lives free in a holy city like Jerusalem. Now, the reason why I think that line is worth saying twice, as complicated as it is, is simply this. There's times in our life where what we want and what God wants collide. And if you don't have a time in your life where what you want and what God wants collides, we should talk about that because guarantee you that time will come. If it doesn't, it probably just means we're giving in all the time. But there's a time where what you want, what God wants collides. And when that happens, something incredible happens. When that happens, you learn something. When that happens, especially, particularly when you submit to God's way of doing these things, you learn something that I think should stick with you forever. When that happens, you find out 
that God does not have your interests at heart. I just want to say that one more time because I need that to land pretty heavily. God does not have your interests at heart. No, he has something better. God has your highest interests at heart. He doesn't have your interests. He has your highest interests. And so whatever it takes, even if it takes bringing a people, kicking and screaming, literally dragging at times, all the way from Jerusalem, all the way up to uh, captivity and exile in Babylon, God will do that because he doesn't have your interests at heart. He has your highest interests at heart. And so when you find these moments in life where what you want and what God wants, and they don't really mesh all that well together, Listen, buckle up, because this journey of following God could be a wild one. It is for Daniel. He's in our story this morning in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's one of those exiles, along with a few friends of his, that are that are dragged, kicking and screaming all the way from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. Months-long journey. You can't go straight through because they're not flying. They're not driving, right? They're walking or carting with donkeys. And they make it all the way there. And the entire time, Daniel and his friends are thinking to themselves, what are they going to do when they get us here? Right, like they've seen what the Babylonians have done with their hometown, the holy city of Jerusalem, and with the temple of God. They've seen their work in the past, and now they have months to worry and to have nightmares about what awaits them when they finally get to the, captive city, to the capital city of Babylon. I mean, are they, are they going to have our heads? Are this going to be a public thing? Do they want to make a show out of us? What are they going to do with us when we get there? And they do something sinister. When Daniel and his friends show up in Babylon, we start our story. This is what happens. When they get there, Daniel 1, 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. How dare he? <laughs> like, what? You know, you know it's, it's shocking to them, too, because they did not see that coming. Right, They were thinking kind of along the routes of a nightmare or something like that. They were not expecting to get to Babylon and to open the doors of their captive place and have this massive spread of the best meats and the best vegetables and the world's best wine. I mean, just everything is all spread out the, from the king's table itself. Like, like they did not see that coming. And, and meanwhile, Daniel and all his friends, like they're doing like, yeah, that's awesome. And they're like jumping up and down. We made it, like we're gonna live apparently. They start to find out like, like why it is that the king would roll out such a spread like that. And it says it in the next line, they were to be trained, you see, for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Uh, trained for a few years, there's a meal plan involved. Does this like, sound like college to anybody else? There's a job waiting for them on the other line. It's, it's shocking. 2,600 years goes by, and people are still after an education with a promise of a job outside. That's Daniel's like, situation with his friends. Like They're going to learn what it means to be 
Babylonian through and through. They were Israelite nobility uh, in the capital, in the Judah, in the capital city of Jerusalem. They were like the royal family. They were the who's who. And now they're in Babylon and they're kind of starting over. They have a new language to learn and new clothes to wear. They're going to get new names in just a minute. You can see the king's table food is spread before them. Everything is new and they're getting new jobs and dream occupations, everything. Everything is new to them. And they have a lot to learn in a relatively short period of time. And so eat something because it's time to get to work. But while all Daniel's friends are celebrating and maybe doing the high fives thing and like, we're going to make it, we're not going to die in this place. While they're doing all that, Daniel just takes a minute and he kind of like pauses because he thinks that there actually is something more to it than that. He thinks that there is something more sinister going on here, that it isn't from the goodness of their hearts that they brought him in here. And so he takes just a minute and he kind of just pays attention, particularly at what happens next in the story in verse 6. Listen to this. Among those were chosen some from Judah. Uh, we got Daniel and three names that you probably haven't heard before. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. And this is maybe where it sounds familiar to some of you. Hananiah became Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel, like, wait a second. You're changing our name. It's not just like the foreign exchange student comes over and nobody can pronounce her name. So she just says, call me Sarah. And it's like, okay, thank you for, yeah, appreciate that. No, it's not like it's just, you know, something that you get called. Like for them, it's so much more deep. It's so much more intimate than that. It's not just what you're called. It's who you are. And so Daniel, for his whole life, he has been known as Daniel. For his whole life, people called him and he identified as God, presumably God alone, is my judge. And now he comes to this new place, new clothes, and new language, and new diet, and a new name that they say is you're no longer God as judge. Now you're going to be Maybell, a local God, protect you. And Hannah and I and Azariah, everybody, write down the list. The names get turned into who is equal to God? A rhetorical question gets switched into who is equal to Aku, a local Babylonian god. Right? Like one by one, they just replace all of the names and the stories. And it's not just about what you're called. It's about who you are. And so Daniel, he starts to, he starts to get, he starts to understand something different, something more sinister is going on. He starts to realize they've changed my geography. They changed my language. They changed my clothes. They changed my name. And now they're trying to change my diet and what I eat as well. Daniel sees not just where he is, but the trajectory that he's on. Daniel, he starts to see the writing on the wall. Like part five of the series, writing on the wall. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Awesome. My daughter would have yelled out, dad joke. It would have been great. Uh, the names... <laughs> The names get switched, right? The names get replaced one by one. He sees the trajectory. He sees the writing on the wall, so to speak. He sees all of this happening. And he does something incredible. Because he doesn't want to become, 
He doesn't want to become Babylonian through and through. He doesn't want to give up who he's been. He doesn't want to become a new person. And the most important thing for Daniel is in this new place with this new language and with these new clothes, he doesn't want to take on a new set of spiritual convictions, a new set of beliefs about God. It's so central and it's so important to him. He realizes that the trajectory that he is on in this new place is one that someday he's going to wake up and he actually won't be Daniel at all. One day he's going to wake up and he and all of his friends are going to be, in fact, Belteshazzar and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They will be these new people. And so in order to stop that, in order to prevent that, he does something incredible. And before I tell you what that is, I got to almost like pause the Daniel story and to just like ask, do you, do you see any parallels? Like, do you see any parallels between Daniel and his world? Maybe, maybe you and I in our world? I mean, it's a, it's a stretch maybe. There's been a long time, but just like a parallel, right, of somebody sitting I just imagine a doctor's office and picking up a magazine because it's the only place anybody ever reads magazines anymore, but picking up glossy magazine and just like casually flipping through, not really thinking much about anything. And you get to a place in the magazine where there's like this brand new car, right? And it's shiny and it's awesome because the page is shiny, remember? And it was like 700 horsepower and it's like burning out and there's smoke everywhere. This is probably just me. Um, and you're like, that is so, I drive a Prius, so I got to like get it somewhere. It's like, oh, that'd be amazing. But, and you're going like, that would be so incredible. You know, if I could just like, oh. And then if magically I appeared next to you and like tap you on the shoulder and said, are you seriously setting your eternal like hopes and dreams on no farther than that car? And you're like, no, no, of course not. It's a silly car in a magazine. I'm just trying to like pass time until the, you know, the receptionist calls me in. He's like, okay, cool. You know, but then like later on, you know, it happens, you're watching TV and there's like this dialogue on a sitcom or something with you know, a husband and a wife and, and you laugh for a second, unknowing, not really thinking much about it. And then all of a sudden I appear next to you again and tap you on the shoulder and say, do you, do you think that's really how a husband and wife should interact? Like, is that, is that honoring to each other? Is that honoring to the, to the God that they serve, whether they recognize it or not? I mean, is, is that really how she should treat him or he should disrespect her? You're like, no, 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 of course not. It's a, it's a little sitcom. It's a TV show. It's, it's just not a big deal, like, at all, at all. Okay, moving on to the store. You're hanging out with friends later at night. It's party scene, whatever things are going on. And somebody starts talking, even starts bragging about, about the way that he and she got together. And you're going like, that doesn't totally seem like right. To me, I mean, not now, not in the long term, I don't think. And again, I appeared. It's happy on the shoulder and be like, is that that the way, like a couple who isn't married, who isn't together, is that the way that they should use their bodies, use their sexuality, let's say? Should they be throwing it around like that? Is it honoring to each other? Is that honoring to God? Is that honoring to the person that they're eventually going to end up with forever? And it's like, no, no, of course not, of course not. But like, I just, I share all of these things. It's like, one by one, you change somebody's geography, it's not a big deal. 
He changed somebody's diet is not a big deal. He changed some, somebody's name. I mean, that's annoying. They got to learn this new language, whatever it is. That's not a big deal. One by one by one, it's almost, it's almost like not even worth bringing it up. But you start to like clump all of these things together. And you start to like, like paint a picture of not just a small stream that you find yourself in, but, but like this raging river. And, and, and as a follower of Jesus or a potential follower of Jesus, if that's the boat that you're in, you're, you're like trying to push yourself upstream and you're not even realizing how extraordinarily hard it is to move forward. Because if we're completely honest with ourselves, we're not trying to push up against it, but we've got ourselves some tubes and we're floating down it. And at every checkpoint along the way, is that really how? No, no, no. Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. And one day, you know you're going to realize, like, this isn't even a relationship worth having, a faith worth having, a friendship worth having, a marriage worth having, a financial situation worth keeping, unless... Unless you do what Daniel did. And this is the part that I love about this story because Daniel gives us that first step. Daniel gives us that, that, like, that first thing to do when you don't know what else to do. When, when Daniel's facing a situation where courage, like Rosa Parks, tank man, kind of courage is required of him, Daniel steps up to the plate. And in three words, he shows us how each one of us step up to the plate. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. In verse 8, it says, but Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved. Daniel drew a line in the, in the sand. Daniel put, put a line down and said, this far and no farther. Daniel resolved. What did he resolve? Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the uh, chief official, the head guy in charge, for permission not to defile himself this way. Could you, like, just imagine? Of everything that's going on, the language thing, the clothes thing, the name thing, which I think would be a bigger deal, but whatever. Like, all of this that's going on, Daniel doesn't... He doesn't pick up on any of that, and he chooses to pick up on the language thing. And he doesn't just pick up on the language thing. He says, I don't want to defile myself with this, the king's food. Just imagine being in charge of that guy. And it's like, yeah, I've been doing this job a long time, says the chief guard. <laughs> Everybody who gets here is usually pretty happy to be here. Yesterday, you thought you were going to die today. And now I'm offering you the literal best food in the world and uh, you're saying that it's going to defile you? Why don't you slow your roll there just for a minute there, Chief. Uh, <laughs> we should get caught up to speed here. I don't know why. I don't know why he picks out the, the food thing. Now, this probably has something to do with, like, this kosher. You know, he had no idea knowing whether it was kosher or not. It probably wasn't. There's was Jewish dietary restrictions. He probably had a hunch that possibly it was used as a sacrifice to Marduk, food sacrifice to idols, and you know what? It probably was. It had a lot going against it, but still, like the name thing, everything else, I don't know why. Nobody really knows why he zeroed in on this food thing, except to say maybe God was telling this story of Daniel, not just for Daniel, Maybe God was telling the story for you and me. 
Because maybe God was saying, you know, it's not totally about the food thing or the name thing or the geography thing or the clothes thing or the language thing. Maybe it wasn't about any of that in particular, but it was simply about drawing a line in the sand, putting down a line, resolving to go this far and no further. Because, friends, isn't true? You don't want to see what's on the far side beyond that line. I'll give you some examples. We do this all the time, right? We just, we line up boundaries for ourselves because, because simply we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to mess up our lives. That's the awesome thing about the Bible. Like, you can see these spiritual principles being lived out in so many other ways. I mean, isn't it true that a lot of you, like, sit down at the beginning of every week or pay period or month? I hope it's not a year or decade. But, like, you sit down and you make a budget, right? Like, you just create a financial situation, you know, and you, like, line up things. And you say, like, this is how much I'm going to give towards this and this and this. And, you know, this is how much I'm going to spend on groceries. And somebody else could step in to your situation and say, why do you want to be so restricted? Why do you want to be so confined? I mean, it's your money. Do whatever you want with it. And you're going, wait, 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 wait. Like, I'm putting these boundaries, I'm drawing these lines in the sand, not to constrict myself, but to give myself freedom, right? If I ever want to take a vacation, I have got to stop going through, like, the checkout aisle at the store and buying everything that I see. No good comes from that five square feet, at the store, right? You get, you get no, no, it's not, it's not restrictive. In fact, the boundaries that I put up are actually my guides towards freedom, right? We do that with a financial situation. We do that, we do that with our relationships. You know, the examples that I mentioned earlier, you know, this is, this is uh, my lines. These are my boundaries. This is how far my sexuality extends and no further, right? And this isn't as a way to just constrict or confine, although it's, it's, it's cast that way all the time. But no, no, no. This isn't to do, this is a way to, to fully and freely enjoy the, a person that I ultimately end up with and hold nothing back. I mean, we do this all the time in writing these, these like lines down. And, and I think, like, take the wisdom that you have applied to your financial situation or to your relationships or to your job or to your dreams or bucket list someday. Take that discipline and take those principles and apply them, like Daniel does, to his spirituality, to his walk with God. And say, you know what? You've asked me to sacrifice so much. And little by little, you're chipping away at Daniel. And God is judging. You're asking him to become this other guy. And I'm going to resolve. And here his wisdom is to you, to resolve. Not to be that guy. Resolve not to wake up one day and to realize that you've become someone else. Not to resolve not to wake up years, decades down the line and to realize that you never actually cleaned up that financial situation. To resolve someday not to throw around your body like it doesn't matter, but, but, but to freely and dedicately offer yourself to one other person. Like resolve and make these decisions. And in that moment, you find out not just who you are, you find out whose you are and you belong to God and he doesn't have your interest at stakes. He has something so much better, your highest interest at heart. And if I, and if I could give you like one other thing, you know, one other reason 
for drawing that line, for resolving today, for resolving this week about whatever your spiritual line is, whatever God is convicting you of, whatever God is asking you to step into next. If I could, if I could offer just one more thing of just why in the world you would resolve to draw that line and to follow God in that new thing is the two words that come in verse 9. Now, God. Now, God. It's such a powerful line because Daniel puts himself in a place of rest. He puts himself outside of anything that would seem safe, anything that would seem comfortable. Now, God shows up. It says in verse 9, Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel... I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. If you want to lose your head, that's up to you. You're not taking my head down with you. But, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, go talk to the guard over there. He might be receptive. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, please, let your servants for, please, test your servants for 10 days, 10 days, and give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with whatever you see. So he agreed. <laughs> That's incredible. So the guard agreed. He agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, lo and behold, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. This is not a diet plan. This is the act of God showing up. Because it continues in chapter 1 and on into the rest of the story of Daniel that God didn't stop showing up then, but he kept showing up. It says in the verses following and on through the book that, that God showed up. God showed up not just in like keeping his appearance and his strength up, even though he didn't have the benefit of the diet that everybody else had, the foods that everybody else had in front of him. No, no, no. It says later on that also in his learning, in his language acquisition, in his understanding of math, in every area of life, God kept showing up. And it said that God did all of these things for him. I think that we have missed God so much in our lives because we have created these insulated bubbles where we don't need God. And we've created a world around ourselves where we can say, God, you can come up to here, but, but not within, not too close. And Daniel comes along and draws a line in the sand and he makes a resolution. He resolves that things are going to be different. And he says, no, I'm not going to have this comfortable life where I don't need God. And he takes himself out of that and God shows up. Daniel resolves and God shows up. And he never would have seen it and we'd have never had the book of Daniel if he didn't make the resolution so that we could see God show up. Friends, if I could ask you for something this week, 
is resolve. Draw that line wherever it is. Draw that line maybe maybe just to go to church on a weekly basis. Draw that line to join a group or draw a line to, to start a Bible study or draw that line to read the Bible even, even on your own. Draw that line and watch as God shows up. Make that resolution and take that first step in becoming what it means to be brave. Resolve this week and be brave. Be brave when you step into that situation that terrifies you. Be brave when, when, like we saw, you're on top of that high dive and jumping in. Be brave when you've got the flowers and you're going to knock on the door and ask her to marry you. Be brave when you're just about to walk down that aisle. Be brave when you're dropping your first grader off at school and you're terrified because there's a new teacher and new friends and it's a new class and everything is just so new. Be brave because it's just outside of that area of comfort in your life where God shows up. Friends, God shows up. Imagine if Daniel didn't resolve and we wouldn't have the story of Daniel. Imagine, imagine now with Jesus in the garden, begging with his heavenly father, sweating tears of blood, knowing that what lies ahead of him is an arrest and a crucifixion and a burial, and he didn't want to do it. But seeing this place where what he wanted, what, what God wanted for him, Jesus in that garden resolved. He resolved with a declaration, not my will be done, but yours. And the world was never the same. Take that first step, make a resolution, and watch God show up this week. Would you stand up with me and let's pray together? Pray together to the God who shows up. Gracious God, you have showed up time and time again. God, you've showed up in our lives, even when we weren't paying attention even when we've missed it. God, you have never left us. You don't forsake us. You don't have our interests at stake at heart. And thank you for that because you have our highest interest at heart. God, forgive us for all the times that we overlooked you, for all the times that we didn't look for you. And God, grant us the grace of seeing you show up in our lives this week and do incredible things. God, as we put ourselves outside of our areas of safety and outside of our areas of comfort. May we experience something that this world cannot offer us. May we experience you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.